forward of the Firelight Fairy Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Firelight Fairy Book by Henry Beston. Forward. The Assistant Secretary of the Navy, Washington, September 7, 1922. Dear Henry, Grown-ups arrogate entirely too much to themselves. I know this is so. I discovered it for a fact when I was not more than knee-high to a grasshopper myself. I knew, for example, that a certain amount of dirt on my face and hands in no way interfered with my enjoyment of my supper. The fact that my fingernails were not all that they should have been had no bearing whatsoever upon the efficiency of those same fingers. Washing not only took time from other important pursuits, but also was mildly unpleasant. Nevertheless, my mother was not even open to reasonable argument on the matter. Arbitrarily, with the despotism of an early Roman emperor, she rendered a dictum to the effect that I must wash, and soapy and submissive I had to be before I could come to the table. Again, any reasonable child can tell you that pleasure is the main object of eating. Therefore, in all logic, one should eat if one feels like it at ten o'clock in the morning, or at three o'clock in the afternoon, a jar of guava jelly, a pound of chocolates, a paper of ginger cookies, or whatever may appeal to one's aesthetic taste. This method of procedure, naturally, might necessitate recourse to the Brownwood family medicine closet. Certain discomfort might ensue, but was not the pleasure worth it? Again my mother arbitrarily took the matter into her own hands, disagreeing with me on fundamentals. She maintained that eating was not for pleasure simply, but for nourishment. Sundry unfortunate remarks were made concerning references to gluttony. The pantry was locked, and regular meals at regular periods were prescribed. Indeed, poems with dreadful morals for those who ate between meals were recited to me, endeavor being made thereby to substitute terror for inclination. Any reasonable child will find many such parallel instances of the assumed omnipotence of grown-ups. With this awful indictment before me, you ask me, a grown-up, to write an introduction for the Firelight Fairy Book and thereby to assume the responsibility for passing judgment upon it. There is but one circumstance that makes me willing to do so. I believe that where any nice grown-up is concerned, if you crack the hard outer shell with which circumstances have surrounded him, beneath it you will find a child. Banking on this, I ventured to say that I thoroughly enjoyed the Firelight Fairy Book. I liked particularly the story of the poor little prince, whose sneezing had such a disastrous effect, and the lost half-hour is unquestionably an accurate historical account, because no one could have described so accurately simply from imagination what a lost temper looked like. What makes me even more willing to advance my opinion is that I do not stand alone. My conclusions are supported by a jury of my peers for I have given the book as a Christmas gift not only to my own children, but to other people's children, and to one of the prominent senators of the United States. They have universally acclaimed it, and who can question the judgment of such a jury? 
Good luck to the firelight fairy book. May it, like Scrooge's laugh in the Christmas carol, be the father of a long, long line of brilliant books of a like nature for the enjoyment of all true children, whether they still be at day school or sitting in the high places of the world. Believe me, yours very truly, Theodore Roosevelt. Henry Beston, Topsfield, Massachusetts. How the new fairy tales came to be written. Some twenty years ago in a pleasant old town by the sea lived a lad who was very, very fond of fairy tales. When he had read all the fairy books which his parents and his uncles and his cousins and his sisters and his aunts had been kind enough to give him, he turned to the town library and read every single fairy tale he could find mentioned in the catalogue. But there was an end even to this treasure, and finally a day came when the fairy-tale lover could find no new tales to read. Every Christmas he would peek at the new books in the bookshops, only to find the same old stories printed, with new pictures meant to please grown-ups. What could be the matter? Had the fairies all gone away or locked the doors of fairyland? Where, where, where were the new stories? And why, why, why didn't people write them? Some years passed. One pleasant summer day, as the fairy-tale lover sat reading a book beneath the low-spreading branches of an oak tree, he heard a hum of wings, and looking up, startled from his book, he discovered the fairy golden wand standing close by. "'Are you seeking new fairy-tales?' said the fairy golden wand. "'Yes,' said the reader. "'Will you write them down if I tell you some really new ones?' said the fairy. "'Oh, yes, indeed,' said the reader. "'And I'll put them into a book, and next Saturday Mr. Day the artist will come down. We shall have tea here under the oak tree. Uh, do you like hot buttered toast? And you must tell him all about the fashions in fairyland.' "'Oh, that will be fine,' said the fairy golden wand. "'I knew you wouldn't mind my appearing so suddenly. Ever so many things have happened in Fairyland since the last books were written, and we all think it's a dreadful shame that children haven't heard about them. Just imagine boys and girls not knowing about the adventures of the prince in Lanternland. Shall I tell you the story?' And that's the way the author heard about the Shepherd of Clouds, Florian, Mariana, Giles, Bobo, and all the other new friends. That you may long enjoy their adventures is the wish of Henry Benson, Maurice E. Day, the Fairy Golden Wand. End of Forward